So this week, um, Bren asked me to say a thing really quickly about kind of something that is going on right now in our country and the election and all this stuff that's come after it. Um, and I promise to you that after that, our focus will not be on it. So uh, we will not talk about it anymore. And you will probably end up being like me in that you probably are just willing to not talk about it anymore for a while. Um, uh, but I, I do think that uh, it is valuable for us to, uh, to think about a couple of things. And I, I heard something from a pastor this week uh, that was written and posted on social media that I thought was fantastic. And so I'm going to read it to us. But before that, we have been going through the book of Ephesians. And um, the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy were also written to Ephesus. And the pastor who is in charge there is Timothy. And so um, something that's going on in the context of that particular city is that in 1 Timothy, we see that there's some conflict. We see that there's some vitriol somewhere, right? And we don't know entirely what's going on, but we see it happening because of the command that Paul gives to Timothy. In uh, 1 Timothy 2, um, verses 1 and 2, that's, what, that's where I'm going to read really fast in regards to the election. And I hope that we can start to see um, some of how we are to respond to that. So it says, first of all then, I urge you that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil, tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, their lives in Ephesus were anything but tranquil and quiet. Their leadership in Ephesus was anything but allowing them to live life however they wanted to. But we are a part of something so much bigger than just the United States. And we have to remember that as Christians. And I, I think this is so well said. And so I'm going to read this to us, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into Scripture, and we'll pass out Bibles and do all that stuff. But for right now, let me read this. Imagine being a people who don't think a presidential election means either the salvation of the universe or the end of the world. Imagine being a people who have a long perspective on such matters, who are tied to an ancient people that have managed to live peaceful and quiet lives across the centuries, whether in kingdoms or democracies, under persecuting tyrants or benevolent queens. This news cycle, this election season, this year, this Congress, these are all blips in time for a people who are looking for a kingdom come. So we shouldn't be surprised by anything. We shouldn't feel like our world is collapsing. We should instead cultivate a kind and healthy distance. Not being aloof or indifferent, but nonetheless exhibiting a kind of holy ambivalence that isn't so absorbed by the present moment. We are, we are a stretched people who are older than this campaign, and we look for a kingdom well beyond it. In a moment here, I want us just to pray. We're commanded to, in First Timothy 2, to pray. Um, we pray for our leaders. Um, I don't know where you land. Um, and, and to be honest with you, this command um, doesn't change no matter where you're at. So right now, let's take a moment, quiet, uh, to individually pray for leadership. That, that includes leadership in our own country, but also around the world where today there's persecution going on of our fellow believers. Um, things are crazy, but that authority real authority is with God 
and we trust him that he is the one who is ultimately bringing about the kingdom of God. But for now, let's pray. Pray for our country and pray for leadership around the world. God, we are an ancient people. Um, we're a part of a 2,000-year-old history that is still going on. And your church will live under any government, any persecution. To this date, no one has been able to stamp you out. And they never will. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be the kind of people who do fight injustice in our world, but that we do so primarily being dependent on you, realizing that you are the one who enacts great change in our world. And I pray that us in our lives and in our church, that we would live out righteousness and justice for all. But we, we would do so underneath your banner. Thank you for making us citizens of heaven. And thank you, Lord, that we are going there. Thank you, Lord, that you are bringing your kingdom here. May we join in that. We need you, Jesus, and we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a kid, I, I kind of, I, my parents were divorced, and so my dad lived like three hours away, and so one of the main people in my life was my uncle, and my uncle and I spent a lot of time together, um, and so uh, I remember this time where he was going to go for a run on the beach, okay, we lived at the beach, and so he was going to go for a run on the beach, and, and he brought me along, I was like eight years old, okay, and my uncle's a triathlete, so eight-year-old triathlete running together on the beach, not going to happen, right? So I, I kind of went with him, and I'm like, yeah, I just, you know, I like being around my uncle. And so I was like, I'll go with you. And, you know, so I kind of hung with him for about the first maybe, I don't know, two feet. But, like, after the, I, 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 like, you know, I was right there with him. But then after that, I was like, you know what, you go ahead. Like, I'll just kind of walk on the beach and hang out. And as a kid, um, you do things like this, but I, I created this game, okay? This game was I wanted to see if I can walk only in the footsteps of my uncle, Okay? Now, in the game, stepping outside the footprints was death, right? But in real life, it was just more sand. So I, I really was like, like I took it seriously. You're a kid, you take it seriously. So I, I took the first step, which was the easiest because it was just like step into one step. So it was not hard at all. I took that first step. And then the second one, right, I did this super awkward, fat, chubby kid jump to the, like, the next step, right? Because the strides were huge. He's running. And so I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be really hard. But I'm like, I, I got to stick to it. Like, I got to stick to this game. And so <laughs> he's running down the beach. I can't even see him anymore. And, uh, and so I start to get a little bit, like, I'm, I'm trying really hard to only step in his footsteps. And, uh, you know, that second step was awkward. But then the third step, I was like, well, I'm going to get it quicker. I'm going to go faster now. And so I try to jump a little faster, right? And so then after maybe 10, 15 steps, I kind of started to get a little bit of a rhythm, right? It was not his rhythm, believe me. It was not his, but it was a rhythm. And so I, I was like jumping, you know, like, and I can't imagine how awkward it would have looked to anybody sitting on the beach. Like for me as this like eight-year-old kid to just be like trying so hard to jump in the footsteps of a grown athletic man, right? But that is the picture those footprints in the sand are the picture that I get when I read Ephesians 2.10. And so jump over there with me. Um, if you need a Bible, they're going to pass out Bibles right here. You just slip your hand up in the air. We're going to go uh, through Scripture quite a bit today. 
it's because uh, I decided that I was going to write out my notes, not print them out, uh, and use a paper Bible because, darn it, I want to live in the 1800s, and so you're going to live in the 1800s with me, okay? Um, but that's kind of the nature of today. So uh, you'll want a Bible, whether it's on your smartphone, you people that are so new, or if it's in your paper Bible, that's great too. Um, but just slip your hand up if you need one, and, and the ushers will come grab you one. Um, Ephesians 2.10, and this is the only, ber- the only verse in the book of Ephesians we're going to do today. Um, and hopefully you get a chance to see why. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I'll read it again. For we are his, that being God, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. Now, as human beings, to start this whole thing off, as human beings, we were intended to take a portion of the ruling over the earth with God originally, okay? Now, we see this in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. God tells Adam and Eve, specifically Adam in this particular passage, but he tells Adam, I want you to rule over the, the, the land. I want you to rule over the sea. I want you to rule over the birds. I want you to rule over the earth, okay? Now, this is huge to understand something. Humanity was not made just to sit around, but we were made with a purpose. We were made with an intention, and that is to practice good works in the world and the space that God has given to us. Now, what you also know is that doing good work comes naturally to Adam and Eve before they sin. It is as simple as walking for them. All they're doing is following in God's footsteps, doing what he does. They're not worried about all these other things and how hard it'll be to do something. No, it comes naturally to them to do good things, to do right. Genesis 3. The picture is this. God is walking through the garden. And where are Adam and Eve? They are hiding. Now picture this for a second here. Now I, I, I might be reading too much into this, but who should have been walking through the garden at that time of the day that God was walking through? It should have been Adam and Eve. It should have been them doing their part. They're, they're intended to rule over this. They're tending to it. But instead, it's God walking through the garden, coming to find them hiding from him because they screwed up. Now, since that moment that Adam and Eve sinned, the most natural thing for all of humanity is no longer to do right. The most natural thing is to do wrong. Now that is a huge shift, right? Huge shift. But I want you to see something else. In the New Testament, we get a picture of who we were before Christ. And it's in Romans 1. Who we were before Christ. You can flip there. Romans 1. We're starting in verse 18 here in a second, but the picture of where we are as humanity before Christ and then what Christ does with us is brilliant because it mirrors that picture in Genesis 3, okay? Remember, God walking through the garden. Adam and Eve are hiding. 
So Romans 1, 18 to 23. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, which that word speculations means that our minds became (laughs) futility. Constantly practicing nothing of real consequence or purpose to what we were originally created for. It goes on. It says, And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That passage tells us something. Human beings, all of us, at one point were still huddled and hiding from the truth. Hiding from God. Before Christ came, we were hiding. Now what happens is that after Christ comes, he awakens us to the truth. All of a sudden, we become conscious of what's really real. And now, all of the truth begins to become a field that we get to learn and understand. But before I go any farther, I want to ask you the question, you, where you're at. Are you hiding? This is not even a part of my original path or intention or understanding in this whole message. But I felt like especially, man, I got to ask that question. Because I will tell you this, it is so much harder to suppress the truth than it is to deal with the hard reality of you not being good enough in an area or you struggling in an area or the darkness that's real. Let me tell you why it's so much harder. Because God is gracious and kind. God is not a punisher by nature. God is a giver a lover by nature. And you know what else? Those things that maybe you are keeping in darkness, they're going to come to light. So bring yourself out of hiding. Whether that be, listen, I've talked to people who say that they didn't know God, who said they're not Christians, but then when you pry a little farther, they are. And they believe it, but they just don't want to follow. They don't want to live it out. They want their sin so bad, but they know the truth. They're suppressing it. Look at your life. Ask yourself, is there an area of your life where you are suppressing truth, where you are hiding from God? Because according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, 
God has woken you up to reality and me. Woken us up to reality. Given us new life. Taken us from death to life. And in the midst of that, Ephesians 1 and 2, 1, 1 through 9 explain this. You and I are given a new substance. You are remade. I am remade, recreated. Think about that for a second. Because being completely recreated from a person who was hiding, who his most natural state, speaking of myself, is doing wrong, to having a completely new substance, completely new. That is something that God has done for us. And our new identity is recreated humanity. I love this. But Genesis 1 says that we were made in the image of God. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that that image was always Jesus. That you have been remade to look like Jesus. That's the purpose and the substance that God has given to us. So back to the first part of Ephesians 2.10, and, and, and specifically, for we are God's workmanship. Now that word kind of to me sounds a little mechanical, but the truth is, is it's way more artistic. That word, we are God's workmanship, is, is, where, is the root word of where we get our word poem. God has taken a group of people who are messed up, broken, down, and he has remade us into a masterpiece. A full expression of who he is in physical form. We are the intimate expression of God himself. Recreated in Christ. Crazy thought process. But this beautiful painting that Christ is doing and Christ creating us again because God has redeemed us from the trash heap of our world and has choosing us, to, uh, choosing to help us clean up here and now and also giving us the task of helping clean up the mess of our world. Let me say that differently. God took us out of the trash heap. God is helping us through us to clean up the trash heap and ultimately the trash heap our world will look different because we are here I don't particularly like this analogy but I felt like I had to leave it in so forgive me hopefully there's somebody out here who actually likes what I'm about to say because I particularly don't so um I, I think it's important because, because it's part of the flow and the nature of this thing, but, like, but I think there's better analogies. Maybe you can come up with one. That's totally fine. But the truth is, is that, that this is one. So hopefully you do connect with it. But it's like this, okay? We have had a substance change. That's our identity. But functionally, Functionally, we still look so much like our old self. Right? 
I mean, there's so many parts of us that are still that old substance, that non-recreated substance, but God has given us a substance change. He's recreated us. And so it's like this. He's using the world to help clean us up through circumstances, trials, each other, whatever it might be. But here's the analogy. It's like this. Earth is like a painter's brush. It's the tool, okay? Our time on earth is the tool God is using to, to change us to be more like our identity. Jesus is the paint. He's the substance, okay? And the church is his showroom. His creativity and goodness is on display here. Now, it's like this, okay? I want you to picture this. You have a creator, painter, whatever you want to say. I'm going to say painting because that's just where I'm going right now. But painting, right? And that painting is wrecked, okay? It's on the trash. God has reached down, picked up that painting, put us back on the easel, begins to rework us with Jesus, and then we will go to his showroom. We will see how God is changing us over time. So now, now for me, this is where it gets real, all right? Because I don't know about you, When I hear that Adam and Eve, when they were made, the most natural thing for them to do was good things, and I hear that God has remade me, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like the most natural thing for me is not doing good. The most natural thing in the world for me still feels like sin sometimes. And it is hard for me to do the right thing. It's really hard. In fact, I'll say it this way. For me to do good works is just as awkward as a fat kid running an athletic person's footsteps. It's just as hard. I feel so out of place. I feel so, like, being like Jesus in the world just feels so foreign to me. And it's awkward man like it's totally awkward and I will tell you this and you'll get it here in a second but like you know how awkward it is to try to be like Jesus here I mean think about just a couple of things I'll just I'll give you a couple of things okay it feels awkward not to gossip and and I'm going to give you an example okay if you've ever been in a circle of people who are gossiping about somebody else and you don't join in it's awkward, right? You, I mean, it is awkward. All the ladies are like, yeah. So, like, it's awkward. Because you guys know what's up. It's hard. It's like there's gossip going on, and it's like you're the one just sitting there like, oh. And they look at you like, don't you hate her? And you're like, no, no, I, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> but it's awkward. It just feels so weird. Or you're, maybe you're the really awkward person who's like, after it's all done, you're like, guys, I just don't think we should talk about that. Have you, ever, have you ever, in that moment, have you ever thought to yourself, if you could just bottle that and sell it, how awesome that would be? Just the awkward nature of that moment. Like, oh, man. But it does. It feels awkward. It feels awkward to keep yourself from being angry 
when somebody wrongs you. That's an internal awkwardness. It just feels so unnatural. It feels so foreign to keep yourself from doing or being angry just because you can. It feels awkward to love someone like your spouse when they've been nothing but mean to you. It's really awkward. It's really awkward for some of us to take long breaks once a week from all of our activities because you're just going. You're going. And then to just like, you're running, you're doing stuff, and then it's like, okay, now I got to just sit. (laughs) That's awkward. Partly because I want to make this awkward. I'm going to keep going. Okay, so unlimited forgiveness, totally awkward. Not seeing yourself as better than others, totally awkward in our world. Okay, look, if you're not comparing yourself to other people and making yourself look better or do better, you're awkward, okay? So (laughs) doing something with excellence even when somebody's not looking, man, that can be so awkward in our world. Do you want to know why? Because other people that aren't doing things with excellence, they're going to look at you like, what's wrong with you, man? Boss is gone. Let's just hang out and do something different. And you're like, I can't. That's awkward. And my favorite one, this is true, like engaging with strangers or friends to share the gospel. And you guys have maybe been there. I've been here before. Uh, if you've ever tried to transition a conversation from normal American whatever conversation about nothing to Jesus, it's like all of a sudden you drove a bulldozer to school one day. Everybody looks at you like, what is wrong with that kid? Because they're trying to figure out why does this feel so weird? Why does it feel so weird to do the right thing? Why does it feel so awkward for me as an eight-year-old to run in my uncle's footsteps? Well, it's obvious to us. Because when I look at my uncle or when I look at Jesus... Jesus is so much more prepared for doing that particular action. My uncle was capable of running those kinds of steps in a perfect cadence because he'd been running. It wasn't awkward for him. It wasn't awkward for Jesus to do these things. You guys... We have been recreated in Christ, but for most of us, it still feels like the most natural thing for us to do is to sin. Because that's the most natural thing in our world. So, why is it so hard to follow Jesus and then he can make statements like Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30? Swing over there for a second. I just sounded... I felt like I kind of sounded like a comedian doing a transition, and I'm really sorry, uh, because I'm not that. But actually, I sounded like Jerry Seinfeld. I'm sorry. Uh, why is it so? Anyway, okay. Uh, that's just in my head. Matthew 11:29 to 30. Take a look at this. Based off what I just said, how in the world can Jesus say this and still, you know, be God? So, take my yoke upon you. He says, in, in, sorry, 28, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I I believe that becoming like Jesus is incredibly hard. But walking with Jesus is not. The hard part about this whole thing, the hard part about good works, the hard part about doing good things and doing things right, is that we're trying to do things right but we still need our functional identity to change here and now. The really hard work of our life is becoming what we already are. It's living into who God remade us to be. The reason it's hard to step where Jesus would step in our world is because we are not Jesus. I know, like light bulb for somebody, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you. But if we are not Jesus, and yet we are to become like him, because he is the perfect image of God that we were always created to be, then the hard work of our life, the things that make life hard, it's not God himself It's not actually doing good works once we're there. You guys, it is hard to become like Christ when we are who we are, we live in the world we live in, and the places that we're at. But don't get it twisted. Some of you out there, you feel like, man, I don't really like following God. I don't like doing good things. And you know why you'll say you don't like it? You'll say you don't like it because it's hard. The hard part is that right now you are in the process of maturity. You and I are being grown up. This is school. This is is a substance change all of our life. Otherwise, (laughs) this is the crazy part. If God put us in the world to do good works, when he saved us, he wants us to do those good works. But when he saved us, we weren't just saved for heaven. We were saved to fulfill the purpose that he laid out in Genesis 1 to do good on the earth, to become like him, his image in the world. And he will process us, according to Philippians 1.6. I want you to understand this, that God is responsible for you becoming a grown-up in him. No matter how old you are, we are still growing up. Christ. You are in a process. And the process
process may feel awkward, but when it's done, it will be the most natural thing in the world for you. Philippians 1.6. Flip over there if you want. I'm still going to read it out loud into the microphone, so you'll still hear it. Those of you who are on smartphones, you just like clicked a couple of things and you were already there. <laughs> Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is taking you on a journey from being who you've been to being who you're going to be. The journey to being who he has recreated you to be is hard. And some people will tell you, some leaders or pastors or whatever will tell you that following Jesus or being with Jesus or doing the things that we're supposed to do, some people will tell you that, that man, life with Jesus is so much easier than life without him. And I would agree with that. But I would never, ever, ever tell you that this is going to be easy. The truth is, God is the one responsible for our sanctification, but we play a part. Guys, becoming like Jesus is hard work. We have to do some hard work. For those of you who are floating, hoping that one day you just, your faith is realized, look, this is hard. I know you may not have signed up for something that's going to take effort, but this is going to take effort. It's going to take real hard work daily to recognize, wow, the things of God are foreign to me in this setting, but I need them to be natural, but the things of the world are natural to me in this setting, but I need them to be foreign. This takes work, and I will tell you the tools that God has given to us for this Look, I'm only going one place here. One place, one thing. God has given us many different things to help us grow up in him. But there's one thing that he has given to us that mainly is intended for this. We got to start doing hard work in this. Okay, and I'm talking to myself here. I struggle. I struggle to be devoted to the scriptures. But you will see something here in a moment. The scriptures tell us that if you want to grow up, if you want to be mature, college students, if you want to be mature, become a person of the word of God. Here's why. John 17, 17. This is in the middle of Jesus praying. And it's probably one of the coolest prayers that's ever been prayed. So if you're interested in reading it, do it, man. John 17 is amazing. John 17, 17. This process of growth, and, and this is just a, another thing, but this process of growth 
is what Christians call sanctification. You are being sanctified. You are being set apart in what you already are. Your substance changed to be like Jesus, recreated. But now you're learning to live out this recreation. You're learning to live out the identity you've been given. John 17, 17 says this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I challenge you, memorize that. I'm pretty sure you probably could have already done it already. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Turn with me to 2 Peter 1. Starting in verse, uh, hold on, I think it's 3. Yeah, 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I'm going to go one more place in case you don't believe me. You probably already do. Most of you already probably already did before today. Second Timothy three. Sixteen and seventeen. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate. Another way to say that word adequate is complete, mature, or perfect. Equipped for every good work. I don't know how to make an appeal about something that I need to appeal to in my own life except to say that I genuinely believe that if we are going to fulfill our God-given purpose, if we are going to mature in Christ, we have to stop making the Bible a priority and start making the Bible a necessity. Because if we don't, if it continues to be something that we would love to learn one day, if we don't give ourselves over to it, then following in the footsteps of Jesus will continue to be one of the most awkward things we do. But as you grow up in the Lord, as you mature, we will see how following in the footsteps of Jesus can become natural thing for us, a natural rhythm for us to fulfill the purpose that God has put on the earth, put us on the earth for, which is to do good here. So my challenge to you is this, and really simply, stop making the Bible a priority and start making it a necessity for you. Just let that begin. See what the Lord does with you in that. I can't tell you how to do that for you because I'm not you. 
But I can tell you that if you do that, according to scripture, you will watch as you mature and grow up in the Lord. And everything in your life that has felt so foreign to you when it, in regards to following God, it will begin to become more natural. And you will see the fruit of joy in following Jesus and what it's like to be with him every step of the way. Let me pray.